Welcome to the KGB podcast series. I'm Robert Gottliebson, and in this episode, myself and Stephen Bartholomew sit down with Qantas CEO Alan Joyce. It's been a very turbulent time for Alan at the head of the Flying Kangaroo. He's come under intense pressure from media and shareholders as high oil prices and a capacity war with key rival Virgin smashed the airline's bottom line. Today, it's a much happier story for Qantas and Alan after a bumper profit was announced in February. So what was the secret to turning around the carrier? Stephen kicked off the interview by asking Alan how he maintained a focus on strategy under such extreme pressure. But at a personal level, how difficult was that period? I mean, how did you cope? And did it cause you ever to question what you were doing and the strategy you were embarking on? I, you, I, for me, I think I was very focused on just delivering the strategy and delivering the outcome. I'm very passionate about Qantas, as all of our employees are. And you know, this is a great brand, a great company with a great history. And you really want this company to be successful and thrive for the future. And it's had such a legacy in Australia. It's such a, such a thing that I'm very passionate about it. It was always about making sure that that legacy was there and the company got through it. And what was great, the support of my colleagues, the support of the board, the support of the, the employees and everybody getting behind this transformation because it's 30,000 people that have put the hard yards in to deliver the best customer service we've ever had in our history. Uh, one of the best uh, returns that we've seen, uh, the best results financially we've ever seen in 95 years, and with the largest people engagement that we've ever had. And we call that the trifecta of getting uh, the best outcome in all three. And I don't think a lot of companies that have gone through this level of transformation have done that. And we've done it because we have 30,000 people that, that have worked our backs out to make this the transformation work. Alan, during that period when Qantas was losing a lot of money, um, you weren't allowed to use record oil prices as an excuse. Today, with oil prices record low, everyone's saying, well, the result's just driven by the oil price. Do you think that's unfair? And do you think it undervalues the extent to which there's been structural change within Qantas? You know, Steve, we, we say uh, absolutely we benefit from fuel. And fuel has been, um, has been a, a, a basically a tailwind for us. It was a headwind up till now. But fundamentally, the big driver of these results has been the transformation program because every airline in the world uh, would benefit equally from fuel. And there's two things that have happened. One, uh, since 2014, I think Qantas and airline peers is the number one performing stock in uh, total shareholder returns. And I think in the ASX is the number one stock. So it's a bit more than, uh, than just fuel going on. And not everybody's getting the benefits of fuel this early. Qantas Treasury team and the Treasury management did a phenomenal job of picking the right instruments to hedge our fuel with, and we've gotten the benefit earlier than a lot of airlines have. Other airlines will catch up with us later, but that benefit has come true. So that's good management rather than good luck. Uh, but I do think, you know, what we've been focused on is saying that the transformation program is really key for us managing the returns during the cycle. And we had a 23% return on invested capital in the last 12 months, which is, which is phenomenal for an airline. Uh, but our target's to get over 10%, which is more than our cost of capital. And we know that the completed transformation program and delivering on it is gonna be key to doing that. And we believe we can do that through the cycle. And that would make Qantas a robust, a lot more robust business than it's been in the past. And that's why we're still very focused on delivering the transformation program. If oil prices were to stay at current levels, let's say for a period of years, Alan, would that have implications for the structure of the international industry and or for the scope and nature of your network? 
Well, I think, you know, we could see that Qantas, uh, Qantas has taken advantage of the opportunities that are out there, and we will always do that, Steve. I mean, Qantas International will grow at 9% this year. And, you know, two years ago when I lost half a billion dollars, I don't think anybody thought we would ever grow it by that amount. But there are opportunities out there uh, that are quite significant, and a lot of opportunities we started in the first half. And we're seeing unbelievable demand with this real growth in inbound tourism. I mean, this Chinese growth that we talk about is massive, but it's also coming from all over Asia. And we're seeing capacity that we're adding very late, filling dramatically. Uh, and this is, this is a sweet spot also in terms of inbound demand. And now the Australian dollar is at this level and hopefully stays around this level, which is the long-term average. That's great for tourism and it's great for inbound travel and that's great for our international business. Um, I suppose what I was trying to get to in terms of the structure question, Andrew, was um, we've seen enormous growth out of the Middle East in the LM carriers. If oil prices were to stay at the sort of $35 a barrel level, does that mean that the rate of growth out of that um, region would slow? Well, I, I, I think what you say, if, if oil prices are at these levels, then a lot of airlines are going to do equally well on a lot of different routes. The thing that was different between what happened after 2008 when the global financial crisis happened is the Aussie dollar went over parity and the Australian economy was really strong, Steve, compared to the rest of the globe. So a lot of people saw this as a grey haven to add capacity um, instead of the United States or Europe or elsewhere or Asia. Now what we're seeing is that I think all prices are great leveller and make opportunities exist everywhere and there's certainly some economies that are doing, uh, doing very well out there that people can add capacity to. So, you know, I'm always a believer in that the market finds a level and it has found a level here. Uh, we have opportunities now because we produce seats in Australian dollars. At parity, we were very uncompetitive with the transformation program and at 70 cents we're extremely competitive and we have a cost base that we believe can compete against a lot of our peers in the region and that gives us the ability with our revenue base being stronger than a lot of people to grow markets, to grow capacity, to add new routes and as we take the new technology and lead the way in new technology we can do longer destination routes that we've never been able to do before which also changes the game for Qantas. Uh, Alan. The word is that Virgin would like to edge up margins a little bit. Um, uh, are you, would you let them do that and go with them, or would you make it tough for them? Uh, look, this is, this is all, be, uh, Rob, it's all about us making sure uh, that, one, one, it is a very competitive market here. Uh, we know that, uh, that Virgin are very competitive in the business market, and we know there's a lot of competition in the leisure market, both domestically and internationally. And we have to continue to be at the top of our game. You know, we are, after all, a business, and where we can find opportunities to make money and make profits, we will take those opportunities. And I'm sure Virgin will do the same thing. And, you know, we, we continue to see airfares in Australia being very competitive. They, um, they're 20 to 25% below where they were a decade ago. Um, so airlines are making money because of the efficiencies that they've driven rather than anything else. And I'm sure that will continue, that competitiveness will continue. And I'm, I'm hopeful that everybody has a role to play in making money and everybody can make money because then we have a market uh, that can continue to invest, can continue to grow and can continue to give back to consumers. 
Uh, could I summarise that answer as saying, uh, yes, we, would, we don't mind if the, mar <laughs> if the prices go up a little bit? Uh, Rob, I've got to say it's a very competitive market and the competition and supply and demand will, will, will generate what prices will be. And, um, and I think what we've been very focused on is making sure we get our cost base to a stage that whatever that environment is, we can make a return out of it. And I'm sure our competition will do the same thing. Alan, one of the striking aspects of that half yearly result was that Jetstar Asia was profitable and within that um, Jetstar Japan made its first profits. How sustainable are those, are those earnings and does it give you confidence that the Japanese business might actually live up to its, the expectations you've got of it? Yeah, it's a great question, Stephen. I think, you know, Jetstar Asia, which is our Singapore business, um, has been around for some time and it's actually made money of four of the last five years. This will be the fifth year and the, f the first half of this year was the best, uh, best half it's ever had. And the only reason I made a loss in one of those years in the last five years is because we had a massive oversupply of capacity from a competitor in Singapore, which was some irrational behaviour we just had to cope with. But I've been very confident that business is a very mature and stable business. And what it's done in Singapore is created an alternative to Singapore group in connectivity. Uh, Qantas, Emirates, American Airlines, JAL all use Jetstar Asia with its massive route network out of Singapore to connect into Asia and we see a great opportunity for it to build on that going forward. But you're right about Japan, it's the first profit. It is only four years of age. We always knew it would take three years, we thought, to get there. And it's a little bit later than we expected. Um, and it's an amazing business there. It's a very Japanese business. It's got a great brand. It's carried 10 million people in Japan already in that short period of time. Um, it's growing this year by 25% with its existing fleet. It's got its cost coming down. Its brand and its customer service are better than full service airlines up there. And this is in a country uh, that has a multiple of the population here in Australia. And it's 20 aircraft compared to Jetstar's 50 aircraft in Australia. It's just making money now, but you look at the profits Jetstar in Australia is making, and I think the potential of Japan is a lot bigger than the potential Jetstar had here in Australia in size and in profitability, and we're starting to capitalise on that. Alan, how will the Dreamliner transform your business? Yeah, the, the, the new technology, Rob, is, is amazing and what it can do for us. And, you know, as I mentioned, Qantas has always been at the forefront of taking new aircraft. The 707, uh, which we took in the 1950s, we were the first airline outside the United States to do that, and we flew across the Pacific, um, the first to fly across the Pacific, and the third airline to fly across the Atlantic. So we've always been creative at using new routes, new technology to fly new routes. The 787 has the ability to fly from Perth to London, from Melbourne to Dallas, from Sydney to Chicago. And that capability opens up markets beyond the hubs that we wouldn't have been able to do before in the past. So we're pretty excited about the routes that come onto our radar screen as a consequence of that. It is also a super efficient aircraft, you know, 20 to 25% less fuel uh, consumption, uh, less maintenance on the aircraft because of the new technology that's involved in it. And for our customers, uh, great technology that makes the travel experience a lot better. But we also have aircraft coming in the future like the 777-8X, which will be 21-22. That has the capability of doing Sydney, New York. So essentially everywhere in the United States or Sydney into Europe, uh, which we've never been able to do in the past. So we always have to be working with the manufacturers, which we do. We have an engineering team working with Boeing. 
we've always to be at the forefront of taking this technology and looking at how we can use it differently to enhance our network and to enhance what we offer our customers and give them more destinations, more economically and more direct. And I think this technology has the potential to really change the game for Qantas International in the long term. Alan, during that period of financial stress, you pushed out the, the delivery schedule for the Dreamliners. Did you, have you given thought now that you've made some very solid profits to bring bring them in earlier? Well, we, we'd still, Steve, we'd still take a lot of the aircraft because Jetstar has a fleet of 11 of them, which is one of the big drivers in Jetstar's international significant improvement in profitability in this half. And when you think of it, the only two Australian-based international carriers making money are Jetstar and Qantas and making good returns. It shows you that a combination of technology, um, good brands and good strategy really works on this. Now for Qantas, we did delay obviously the 787-9s, but that's because we had spent a lot of money on replacing the 7-4s, the older 7-4s with the A380s. And you know, we bought 12 A380s and the fleet for Qantas is the youngest since privatization. So with any good business, you have to pace out your capital expenditure against the, your ability to generate the cash to pay for that. And what we've done now for the next three years is indicate that our capital expenditure will be 1.2 to 1.5 billion, which is above our depreciation, which allows us to invest in growth and allows us to continue to renew the product and the aircraft. And the 787s are part of that. We have, in addition to the eight we've committed to, 45 options and purchase rights and we don't have to make a call on them now, but they are the potential for us to order them into the future to replace more of the 747s and use them for growth. And given the volatility that's there and the flexibility you need, you're always going to wait closer till you need to make a decision to see what market conditions are like, decide if you need it for replacement or for growth. And we want to maintain that flexibility uh, so we can cope with whatever environment uh, we find ourselves in um, later in this decade. One of the surprising bits of that announcement um, with the result was the, and I, and I assume it went down very well internally, was the announcement that you go to recruit a, another 170 pilots between now and 2019. Does that give you a lot of satisfaction? And I assume it did go down well. Yeah, it did, um, Steve. And I had, I had a text that night from the head of the pilot union congratulating us on the results and on the, the big uplift. And we had pilots here when we did a press conference, which we, we had in head office, and they were all on a high. So, some young guys that have been working with Qantas for a while, but uh, we're looking for opportunities in the future. And this is a great example of cooperative agreements. Because we sat there with the pilot body, uh, with the business case of the 787 and showed them what we needed in order for the business case to work and how we could actually generate good returns on the aircraft if we had the right agreements with the pilots. They came to the party, they, they, we haven't changed the pay rate but we've improved productivity on the aircraft by 38% which is a massive improvement in agreement and it took the vision and the, the, the leadership of the pilots union and Nathan saved the, the president of the union to deliver on that. And what, what's great about that now is that the, these young guys, these young pilots will now get promotions. We'll have eight aircraft coming in. Each aircraft needs 30 pilots. And half of them will be captains and, 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 and first officers. So second officers will move to first officers. First officers will move to captains. And it creates that pro promotional opportunity we didn't have before. And that's been a phenomenal message to the pilot body. And it shows you the power of cooperative 
IR negotiations, when you can get a case that works, makes you competitive, allows you to order and invest capital, and everybody can benefit out of that when it's done right. The alliance with Emirates, when it was originally struck, there, there were people out there questioning whether it was a strategically good decision. Since then, you've struck similar agreements with American and China Eastern. Um, Emirates, we know, have got a big lift in volumes out of Australia. Are you getting a fair share of the economic benefit these things are creating? Yeah, I mean, these partnerships for us, Steve, are one of the big reasons why we've seen a turnaround in the international business in particular. And our international business in the first half made a $270 million profit. As you, as you said, I mean, a few years ago, I made a half a billion dollar loss in a full year. Um, so, and that, so in a half a year, we made 270. And the partnerships are a key part of that. The Emirates partnership is probably the higher profile partnership. Uh, but what we've seen in terms of the Qantas passengers going to Europe, a continental Europe outside the UK, uh, they've quadrupled since that partnership's come in on the Qantas code. We carried 400,000 the year before at Emirates. We carried 1.6 million this year. And what's great about that is we're now providing to our customers a network one stop into Europe that we could have only imagined before to over 30 destinations. That's been phenomenal for a frequent flyer scheme, phenomenal for a domestic scheme, and phenomenal for an international business because that's helped the profitability there. That was so good that we went on and did a deal with America to cross the Pacific, which just got approval from the ACCC, and a deal with China Eastern. Now 70% of our revenue is covered by these joint venture arrangements in China, North America, and in, in Europe. Um, that shows you uh, that it's a core part of what we're doing. Uh, we're working cooperatively with each of the partners. Fully enough, the, the biggest agreement is the American Airlines. I mean, people forget the scale of the United States. Uh, we have 40% of our assets dedicated to the United States, and we have more co-chair and passengers connecting with American than we do with, with Emirates. It's a lot bigger in scale and size, and this is probably uh, the, the, the big focus of the business over the next year is to bed that down. But the future is going to be the Chinese agreement. You know, if that one million passengers into Australia comes four million passengers, our agreement with China Eastern uh, will be the deal of the, uh, the next decade and the next, uh, the next few decades because that's where the vast majority of the growth is going to come from on our network. Alan, look, thanks very much for your time. We, we appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Rob. Good talking to you guys again. And hopefully we'll, we'll speak to you again. I'm sure. Another six months, probably. Thanks again, Alan, for his time. We always enjoy the opportunity to speak with him. And thank you for listening to this episode of the KGB podcast series. If you enjoyed this interview, you can find more at our SoundCloud page and on iTunes, where you can rate, comment and subscribe to keep track of future episodes. Until next time, thanks for listening.